Hello, it's Carson Stewart. This is Fangraphs Audio. I guess on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, he's a lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Kyle McDaniel, he's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. And what follows is he does usually on Fridays. However, in this case, on a Monday, Kyle McDaniel analyzes all prospects. In particular, he fields questions regarding uh, three of his most recent organizational prospect lists uh, concerning the Seattle Mariners, concerning the Pittsburgh Pirates, and concerning the Kansas City Royals. Ryan Yarbrough's name is invoked. Who's that? He's a senior sign who's performed well. Luis Goahara is another player from the Mariners organization. Also from Brazil. How many prospects are there from Brazil? Austin Meadows is at the Pirates organization. How is his development uh, after a short time out of his development compared to Clint Frazier's development? Clint Frazier, of course, played high school ball very close in Georgia to Austin Meadows. Finally, in the uh, Royals organization, Kyle Zimmer, Hunter Dozier, Sean Manaya, etc., etc., all that is addressed in the conversation that follows. Before that conversation, uh, as he does every week, Kyle McDaniel this week has provided a musical interlude. So you will hear the end of this introduction, a musical interlude, and then my conversation with Kyle McDaniel. It is Kyle McDaniel on Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. Wait, I've moved. I'm normally at a desk chair where you probably hear some desk chair and desk noises. I'm now sitting on a couch, my, my writing area, so it's yeah. probably a little different. It is a little bit different, yeah. Do you have uh, how high are your ceilings in this room? Uh, about fifteen, maybe twenty feet. They're pretty yeah. high. Sounds I believe good. they're even vaulted. If you want to use some realtor speak, uh, I'll do that. Yeah, and my guess is that you do not have much on your walls. Is that fair to say? I have nothing. On them, I have all of my my uh, my wall coverings are sitting like standing against the wall. I'm yeah. About to, I'm probably gonna put them up in the next few weeks, so maybe yeah. the, the sound will change further. <clears throat> Do you have? Uh, can I guess as to some of your artwork? Yeah, go for it. What do you got? You got a um, like black velvet Bob Marley situation. Nope, it's all Scarface and members of the cast of Entourage. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Gustav Klimt's The Kiss? No, actually, I can tell you, I got a, I have a mirror. Yeah. I don't know where I'm gonna put that. It doesn't feel like a living room sort of thing. Uh, I got Muhammad Ali signed trunks from the Olympics. Oh, that's that's a cool artifact. That's it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually uh, you, no. Let me just dwell on that for a moment. That's a sort of artifact that I wouldn't even think of existing, but if it fell into my hands, I'd do. I would. I would be. I would be pretty uh, in awe of it. Yeah, it was my dad's, and then he sort of was moving around and stuff and ended up coming through Atlanta and was like, oh, do you want this? I was like, uh, yes, I do. Yeah, that's pretty cool, yeah. Everyone can get one. And then I got a couple a couple pictures. Uh, there's one that's like a – it's uh, the Mona Lisa, but, but it's made up of a bunch of tiny, like, digital photographs made mm-hmm. to look like the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. People seem to like that one. And then I got a, a, a sort of more impressionist sort of uh, woman sitting on a dock. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One's a little better, and then one's like uh, like a landscape of Tuscany kind of area. Oh, love that Tuscany. Yeah, but it's enormous too. So this, these big walls really, you know, they make a good canvas for this canvas. You need to fill it up, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I've I've had some people over now that I've been here for about a month, and they're all like, "When are you gonna put this stuff up?" I was like, ah, "I was kind of waiting for things to settle, unpack all the boxes and all that." I think we're almost there now. Have you? Uh, um uh, you, you've had a bit of time here, and you, you've been to see some games. I know that. Uh, would you compare and contrast for the benefit, uh, for my benefit, and also that of the listener, the um, your ability to get to games 
living there in the uh, greater Atlanta area as opposed to in the greater Tampa area? I believe the uh, the technical term is the dirty south. Okay. Which yeah. one is you're in the dirty south presently? Yes. It's, it's, uh, most of Florida somehow somehow manages to be south of the south. Is that right? Yeah, it is. The way it's been explained to me from people that live in the south is Florida was attached to Massachusetts and then broke off and reattached itself at the bottom. Yeah. It's not really part of the south. Right. So, but, okay, so uh, you've had your fun. Now answer the question. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, well, yeah, in Tampa, uh, traffic isn't a big deal, and high school and college games are everywhere, and especially when you're in sort of the metro areas like Tampa, Orlando, Miami, uh, it's easy to double and triple up games because mm-hmm. you'll have random high school games starting at 4 o'clock and other ones starting at 7 and then it'll be at 1. Once you get into the weekends, games are playing at all different times. So it's very easy, especially early in the season when all these sort of cross-checkers and directors are in Florida and Arizona and Southern California to see all the good players in an area in like three days. Wait, uh, so are the teams purposely staggering the uh – like the first pitch times for this purpose, or does it just happen to be the case? Yeah, it, well, it's, I don't think there's like a unified set time, especially when you have sort of different school districts and some fields don't have lights and some of them do. And and you obviously have high school and college and junior college all having real talent spread all over the place. So there's just a lot of different sort of, you know, there's no governing body for all that. Whereas in Atlanta, all the high schools start their games at exactly 5.55, which I'm not sure why that's the decided upon time no matter because what, like, ted turner said so <laughs> yeah so yeah either ludicrous jermaine dupree or ted turner well no they form a hot they form a tribunal <laughs> <laughs> so they all start at that point and unless you're going from like i've tried before to do bp at one place and then game at another and unless the place is like two miles away you can't do it because you're going you're driving during rush hour trying to move through the most rush hour places and the most rush hour uh, so you just can't do it. And there's not a lot of junior colleges, and there's like two colleges, and a lot of times Georgia and Georgia Tech, and a lot of times they're playing at the same time. So as far as, and then obviously you don't have spring training and all that sort of thing. So, and you don't have the GCL, sort of random noon games before the night, uh, minor league games. So as far as like the bulk of things and picking up three games in a day and things like that, it is not as good. But starting a week from now, when the minor league games start, uh, there are, what, six different leagues within, like, three hours of here, and you obviously have two major colleges in the state, and then you have, like, another five major colleges within an hour or two, and you also have high school and all that sort of thing. And so once you get into April, uh, down the stretch, this is kind of the place to be for somebody like me, because if you decide, hey, I want to go see so-and-so pitch in North Carolina, well, it's going to be ten hours of driving here and there. Is it, I need to be able to get more than one game to make it worth it, because of all the minor league games and all just sort of the bulk of uh, all the schools in the area that you're kind of passing through, uh, it's very easy to be busy every day. But mm-hmm. in a little later here than it normally is, and you don't have spring training, and all, all the minor league games haven't started yet, and so it was a little more hit and miss. Whereas Florida is kind of the place to be early in the season. But okay. I think for the for the bulk of the season, it's a little bit better. Let me say something is that um, fascinating is what your story is. The other thing I want to say is that um, yeah, there's a bit of a lag uh, in terms of recording. I want to apologize to the listener, and maybe I will call you back momentarily. How does that sound? I don't think I have a choice. Okay. I will, I will call you within a minute. Bye.
Easter. That's like the beginning of spring and. I don't know. It feels like that's a day you don't want to try to go to a restaurant at like noon. Oh, don't go to a restaurant on Easter. I don't think. No. Yeah, that feels bad. Yeah. Okay. Listen, you're coming back in freely. Let's try, let's let's try things out here. I was watching uh, uh, shortly before we begin talking. I was watching Justin Garza. Does that name familiar to you? Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, I've seen him a few times. You have? Yeah, he was on uh, he's on Team USA this summer. Oh, he was interesting. Now, Team USA, what? Uh, I think you've mentioned this before, but that's. That is, in some cases, like an alternative to Cape Cod League or some of the other collegiate woodbat leagues. Yeah, no, it's the alternative. Those are kind of the, the top two choices. If you're if you're uh, going into your draft spring and you don't go to one of those two, you're seen as a lesser prospect. Your draft spring, okay, right. Now, uh, but 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 uh, but what's the uh, Northwoods? Northwoods is pretty decent, but you're saying not necessarily for a draft year summer. Yeah. Yeah, like the Alaska League, California League, Northwoods, NECBL, uh, they'll often get guys their freshman year, usually because their, their D1 program, usually in a bigger conference, doesn't want them to go to the Cape and suck and get buried and not get playing time or not perform well and, you know, get exposed or whatever it is. And so they'll send them to the smaller leagues when they're a freshman where there's a little less of a chance that they're going to be terrible and, you know, come back with some sort of mental issue. Uh, but then when it's your draft year, you need the exposure. And so if you go, if you don't go to one of those two leagues, you're going to get seen less. And I mean, there's, there's 15 scouts at every Cape game. Right. And those other leagues, there may be zero scouts at just sort of random regular season games. Right. So, um, so you saw, so you saw Garza team with Team USA. Who does, uh, who, who does Team USA play during the summer usually? Uh, it depends. Uh, like last year, they hung around the USA complex in Cary for a while. So they played uh Japanese sort of high school or college team came, and they played some of the smaller collegiate leagues in that area, like the all-star teams of the leagues in that area. Uh, and I know last year they went through the Midwest for a while, and I think played some of the teams out there. And then I think two years ago is when, yeah, the team that had Rodon and Finnegan. So, yeah, it wasn't this past one with Garza, but the one before that is when Cuba came. Uh, and played them in the Midwest a few times, and then played them in North Carolina a few times, which is where I saw them. Uh, and then the yeah, and then this, this year they went to Cuba. Oh, they I did. Think, I think he was coming back this year. I think they just sort of flip flop it. And they also typically do, I think either Taiwan or Japan or Netherlands. They usually have like sort of an abroad series as well. So usually, yeah, usually they'll have they have trials, uh, and they'll figure out who they want on the team, and then they'll play sort of local all star teams for ten or fifteen games. They'll travel around America. And then they'll usually have a foreign team come in, and then they'll go to a foreign thing. Uh, so they'll usually get, you know, 20, 30 games out of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's – I mean, it seems like still, though, it seems like less of a load in terms of games than than the Cape League. Because they're playing roughly every day in the Cape League, aren't they, except for some Yeah, Yeah, they're like every day for a few months, whereas Team USA, like, you might have 15 guys on the pitching staff and 10 first-round picks. So they'll – you know, some of these guys might only throw – 10, 15 innings. So, yeah, it's not. It's more of an experience, and then you kind of get to pitch in here and there. And the hitters, they have guys that they sort of promise. The way they get some of the their high-level guys is they'll say, you're going to be the everyday shortstop for us, uh, and so pick us over the cape. But then their sort of secondary guys won't be quite as big a prospect. So they'll have sort of top three or four-round guys as the everyday guys, and then they'll have some sort of mid-level guys and underclassmen that will kind of work in here and there to keep everybody fresh. So... Um... No, I don't know if you're suggesting this expressly, but I would like to ask, are you more likely to find good pitchers going to Team USA because the because the innings load is not quite as high, but there's still pretty good exposure? 
Uh, it kind of changes. It goes in cycles. Uh, I think, yeah, recently Team USA has done a little better getting the elite pitcher. Uh, but yeah, because I guess if you only have limited innings, you could either go to the Cape and hang out for three weeks, or you could go for Team USA and get through the whole experience. I think that's sort of the draw now. Um, whereas the, like, I know, like, Jeff Hoffman went to the Cape, uh, two years ago and had, like, five fantastic starts and one not so great one and then left. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of how people see their off-season pitching program. And uh, yeah, I think they'd rather have something where the entire schedule is how long they want to be there. So yeah, I think the I think the those elite first round guys, those top eight or ten guys, I think tend to lean toward Team USA. But there's obviously some benefits to going to the Cape also. You mentioned Carlos Rodon pitched for Team USA. He's a he's had a pretty uh, excellent spring. Yeah, he's back to peak Rodon. Yeah. So my my ever changing opinion of him is now uh, trending up again. Yeah. So what is it? Just a combination of what velocity fluctuation and sharpness? Is that right? Yeah, the arm speed kind of everything else follows it, and his arm speed is up. It was up at the end of last year, and it's up now. And I I now don't know what I think about him five years from now because I've changed my opinion so many times because I keep like he doesn't have the the most athletic frame or best delivery or greatest uh, you know track record of throwing the same for years at a time. And so if you see him throwing 89 to 91 and looking you know not the most athletic in the world and throwing too many sliders and looking fatigued, you're like, oh, well, this is this is only going to get worse from here. This guy's headed down. And then you see him 92 to 96 with a 70 or 80 slider, and you're like, well, this guy's untouchable. Like, who's ever going to hit this guy? And when he's the good version, you can't – it's, like, hard to imagine him not being good again, and then all of a sudden he's not. Uh, so, yeah, I – Here's to him proving me uh, of two years ago wrong and continuing to be the guy that I think he is now and that I ranked him this offseason as being. But obviously pitchers are pitchers, so I mean, yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna attritionize uh, in such ways that we can't predict. So what's the deal? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I Seinfeld at that. I Seinfeld real hard. Uh, what what is the? Uh, I was I was it was suggested to me by a Twitter comrade. Named Ian Frazier, who I believe uh, writes for Baseball Prospectus, actually. Um, and uh, but he said you should see, uh, you should watch Justin Garza start. So that's why I started to watch that. What is uh, Garza is a junior, I think. Yep. With a with an above average changeup is the other thing I think. Okay. Uh yeah, let me pull my notes on him. From what I remember, he is what like six one one sixty five. Like he's he was, pretty he was slight pretty build, thin, yeah. not that tall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what, yeah, what I saw from him, I believe he was sort of the, uh, the swing guy for Team USA. I think he started a game or two and then would sort of come in and throw three innings when it was needed. And yeah, I had him 355 pitches, uh, which obviously in relief for an inning or two, you get three consistent 55s and maybe touch a six here and there, uh, when stuff kind of plays up. And then it might play down a little bit to sort of three solid average pitches, uh, and sort of longer starts, obviously given the frame and all that. Right. Uh, but yeah, he's been he's been performing and like hitting 95 like since the first start of his freshman year. So he's he's kind of an easy one to evaluate. It just matters like what you think that kind of guy is worth. Right. But he's been he's been ex- demonstrating roughly the the same repertoire and arm speed for the duration of that time. Yes. Okay. I, I want to say he got banged up a little bit, like some sort of tightness or something like that in his arm, either freshman or sophomore year. So he's not the crazy freaky guy that's never been hurt before, but he's like kind of in that area. So mm-hmm. if yeah, if you if you think he's going to be able to hold up and throw 180 innings, he'll probably be second rounder for you. And if you're a team that likes the big strong guy and likes to sort of steer clear of that sort of Tim Hudson type frame, then 
probably more of a fourth rounder guy because you think he's a swing man that performs well. And then odds are he'll get taken, you know, second or third round by one of those teams that's on high end. Right. If you're trying to make an argument against it, pro- it ideal not to call the Tim Hudson frame, seeing as he's had a long yeah. and and uh, an excellent um, major league career. You should that's call, fair. You should definitely have a name. I'm not saying for you. I'm saying like especially like if you're on a team though, and you're trying to argue against a certain frame, you should definitely you should come up with a name nobody's heard of. And people are like, who's that? And you'd be like, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. And you'd be like, go, he's got a frame like Greg Maddox. There's no way he could succeed. <laughs> yeah, right. And also, I don't have dandruff. But you don't. Take the long ball. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all right. So now I know. And he's, he's, um, he's teammates with uh, someone who's also, um, atop the charts of the Big West named Thomas Escher. All right, let's. I was going to say, let's say it together, yeah, because I, I knew where you were going with that. Right, he well, was also it, on Team USA. Let's say it together for some reason. One, <laughs> two, three, Thomas Eshelman. Thomas Eshelman. We, didn't, we didn't do that. They Man, didn't. we're bad at this. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Eshelman's even, uh, uh, I will say, um, his striking out a lot, of, uh, a lot of strikeouts and hardly any walks. And here's the fun part. Even less stuff than Garza. Is that right? Yeah, well, that's the, uh, right. Because um, I think what Eshelman's velocity is in the 89-91 range or something like that. Maybe yeah. a, a different reading. Yeah. He'll, he'll touch a three or four when he's really going well, but uh, I've never seen him throw a 55 pitch before. I've seen like three solid average pitches, and the people I talked to this spring are all like, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. It's like when it's going right, it's three solid average pitches, above average command, and, you know. Guile and all the other, you know, words that you use for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the word, so that, I saw the word bulldog applied to Justin Garza today. Yeah, I think that counts. He's probably the size of an actual bulldog also. Mm-hmm. Um, Eshelman's bigger, so I guess there's less sort of durability concerns, but then you get into the whole sort of command over stuff guy, which is another sort of guy that some teams tend to like and some teams don't. And will either make people look stupid or really smart because he's either going to perform a ton and be in the big leagues a year after he gets drafted or his velo is going to back up a tick or two and he'll be nothing. Right. Uh, it's kind of how those sorts of things play out. And he's probably in that kind of – just because he's a little bigger and has even crazier numbers, he'll probably be more of a sort of solid second rounder. Uh, but he's a guy I've heard some rumors could be a target for a way under slot deal if there's a team that's really likes him or likes his probability uh, and wants to sort of save some money. Okay. Hey, let's uh, let's use that as a uh, as an entree into discussing some of your lists from this week. One of which concerned the Seattle Mariners, and uh, one uh, left-hander named Ryan Yarbrough, who I think was I think he's in your top ten. He's like number seven for the Mariners somewhere around there. Something like that. Yeah. He's also got Bro in his name, so you know. He's so yes, favorites. that's a good point. Yeah, I did not see that. Yeah. Um, the uh, what he was a he was a senior sign, and senior signs. Uh, typically, what? Well, they're they're notable insofar, Kylie. Notable insofar as they were not signed as juniors uh, when they were first eligible. Maybe they were drafted but not signed. They have uh, less bargaining power. Uh, but but also, they um, these players can improve between their junior and senior years, and they can improve. And I think this is the case with Yarbrough. They can improve afterwards. Yeah. Did you just say my name in the? Middle of that because you knew I was going to tune out otherwise. Uh, probably, yeah. I was. Also, I think I was making a point somehow too. I forget now though. It's like saying my full name when you're my parent yelling at me. Yeah, I don't know your middle name though. What is it? Is it something uh, silly? Stephen. Yeah, it's not that silly. Oh, it's not that silly. No, that's really... Kylie Stephen. Yeah, no. Daniel. 
That's true. Yeah, well, also my initials are KSM, which is the initials of that terrorist that had that big trial in New York. So people kept calling him KSM. It was like, knock it off, guys. Knock it off. Knock it off. That's on my L.L. Bean backpack. (laughs) Yeah, which I've never had, so now I feel like that guy might have had it better than me. Anyway, uh, yeah, Yarbrough. So what was the question? He he was a senior sign who – I mean, is he in some sense – well, he was signed, what, in the fourth round for just $40,000? Yes, I believe I turned that way, way under slot. Yeah, that was, and it's uh, entirely hyphenated that, that expression. The uh, th- that that must be one of the the lowest bonuses you're going to see in the top ten rounds. Uh, not the top ten because now with the way they've set up the draft, uh, I'd say probably half of teams, maybe two thirds, will sign a couple of, like five thousand, one thousand dollar bonuses, especially in the ninth and tenth rounds. To bank a few dollars so they can get you know a couple extra hundred thousand for the higher picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still probably at least a ten teams that just that like they'll say to me, oh yeah, we play we play the draft straightforward. If the slot in the tenth round is one hundred and two thousand dollars, that guy gets one hundred and two thousand dollars or you know within ten or twenty percent of that. Is that supposed and to be like? Teams- are they advertising that like it's a virtue? Like we do we do things the right way. Well, there's certain teams in the before there were draft pools that like never went over slot. Like I think the, the 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 Braves didn't go over slot for like five drafts in a row, something ridiculous like that, or you know didn't like they might have taken a guy in the thirtieth round and given him a hundred thousand, but they didn't do it in any sort of meaningful way. Um, but yeah, there's there's some teams like the Blue Jays that are very aggressive. Like I think they gave a guy five thousand dollars in the fifth round the first year of the bonus pools before anybody knew that that was a thing. And I remember when he got picked, it was a reliever at Stetson that I'd actually seen. He's in the mid nineties, but he couldn't really do anything else. Um, the whole internet's like, oh, wait, this guy with the fifth round, we've never heard of him. Nobody would written him up. What's going on? I'm thinking, like, I saw that guy. He's not getting $300,000 or or whatever. And then we found out later, I think they had three guys signed for, like, five grand. So, so anyway, in the top ten rounds, no. In the top five rounds, yes. Because typically teams will, uh, you know, maybe ten out of the 30 teams will target a senior like this to take in the fourth or fifth round, especially if they think they're going to spend big in the first couple of rounds. And it'll be sort of the top senior on their board, take them in the fourth or fifth, give them, you know, $100,000 or less to make sure you get them. Uh, but typically those are at least, you know, 30, 40, 50,000. Right. So yeah, in the top five rounds, that's about as And your, and your bro was, uh, where are you? Old Dominion. Yes. Right. And had gone to the same high school as Carson Fulmer, now currently of, uh, Vanderbilt. Yes. And also yeah. of named Carson fame. Right. And there's a bunch of more Carsons. There's Carson Smith. There's a Carson, Carson Smith's in the Mariner system, the, about which organization we're discussing. Later on this list. Yes. And uh, Carson Cross is another pitcher somewhere. For UConn. UConn, right. And I think he, he's been racking up big strikeout numbers. I have no idea what his stuff is like. Yeah, kind of fringy stuff, but he's got some projection. Okay. So uh, so, but, yeah, so, I guess that was predominantly was – the, the idea of the senior sign is still very interesting to me um, because, well, I don't know. Uh, you, you've probably said this somewhere too. Some, I have – the uh, underdogs are interesting, and the senior sign, the senior who, sign is, is sort of like um, automatically an underdog, right? Because he's not getting the, he doesn't have the sort of bargaining power as the the, the junior who's signing, and he's just a little bit more out on the fringes, and so maybe you want him to su- succeed more because of that. Yeah, and actually, I guess I'm harped on this a little bit just because the Mariners' fifth and seventh best prospects who are both sort of legitimately good prospects, were both senior signs from college that weren't really seen as big-time guys, didn't get very much money, and then turned into legitimate prospects. 
so that came up when I was making Mariners calls, and some of the guys on the scouting side that I would talk to would talk about how, yeah, with the new, uh, well, I think we talked about before, just sort of the interaction of Ari Scout and Crosschecker and scouting director was understood one way, where it was sort of, you know, Ari Scout runs around, identifies the good players, tells his Crosschecker, the Crosschecker decides if they're actually good or not, and then sort of tells the scouting director and the national Crosschecker, uh, all right, these are the guys we think we have a shot to, to get, that sort of fit what we're looking for, that we're higher on than other teams, come see these guys a couple times and, uh, you know, make sure they're good. And now with the, especially the Mariners and also some other teams, targeting guys in the third and fourth and fifth rounds, that are technically seventh to tenth round talents and they're getting that sort of bonus, uh, the area scout is typically identifying this guy. It's not a known guy. The area guy has to be a good evaluator to pick that guy out. Then he sells him up the, at the food chain and sort of, you know, eventually, I remember I talked to a director that told me about his senior sign, I think in the fifth round, I want to say two years ago. And he said he saw him on, it was a Friday starter for like a, a not so great D1 team. And he was like, yeah, I could have gone to see, you know, Eric Fetty or whoever like the good Friday guy was at that point in the season. But instead I went to go see this guy that we signed for $50,000 in like the fourth or fifth round because I knew that guy was going to be important and that I needed to see that guy. I need to have an opinion. Whereas a guy like Eric Fetty, I would have already seen a few times. All of our guys have seen him. We all have opinions. That look wasn't going to give me that much more information. Uh, but this one would be important. I, I like. I want to be able to answer questions in the press conference after the draft and know that I have some confidence on this guy. Right, right. And he, right. And, he and he saw him and liked him, and it was a guy the Aries got picked out and all that sort of thing. So there's like a there's like an added dimension to that that whole chain of information now that didn't exist before. And the Mariners are, I guess, the team that's done the best job so far just by looking at the results. Right. So no, but listen, if this guy went to if Yarborough went to the same high school as Carson Fulmer and went to Old Dominion. Um, uh, you know, he's getting some exposure. Old Dominion is in what uh, what conference? USA, Virginia. Yeah, it's now in conference USA. So it used to not be. That's also where uh, Verlander went. Right. Yeah. Actually, and there was one other sort of big pitcher whose name has escaped me at the time. But the point is that um, so he's still being seen, right? I mean, if you if you make it through four years of college, people are seeing you. Yeah, and also he was one of those guys where just seeing him wasn't enough. Uh, it was sort of a Fringy stuff starter that turned into like a average at times stuff starter. And then it sounds like during the spring it went from average to like a little above average. But at that point it's like, oh, senior sign, some, turn them in. Don't, that's not a priority guy to go see again if you're in an area scout, that's sort of the thought process. And I think the Mariners specifically praised their area guy, which I don't remember what his name was, but I'm sure somebody can figure it out. Um, that he sort of stayed on him. So either he saw something he liked or he just was more aware because of the Pat Kibblehan pick, hey, I have a chance to impact it. This guy might be that kind of guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check in on that guy more times than maybe his talent warrants because of the way the draft set up. Oh, the other guy from Old Dominion was Daniel Hudson. Daniel Hudson. Yes, that's right. Thank you. You're welcome. Very good. Um, I don't know where we're yeah. So okay. Yeah. I, I guess that was the interesting thing. Uh, oh yeah. Other than interesting uh, or, or question occurs to me from the Mariners list. Louise Gohara. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Louise Gohara. Uh, and he's 18. Has enormous upside. Signed out of Brazil in 2012 for 800 thousand uh, dollars. Brazil has not historically been a font of baseball talent. Um, well, Sandy Koufax is from there. <laughs> Uh, Esteban Loaiza is, is he not? No, no, maybe I'm thinking of – no, 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 Andre, Andre Rienzo also pitched for the White Sox at one point. <laughs> Different people. 
Nowhere near as good as Esteban Loaiza. Yeah, not as near as But it has a Z. It's true, yeah. I saw Rienzo in one of his worst professional starts, so I, I think I always have a negative connotation in my head. Yeah, he did, he has not looked uh, great necessarily as a uh, against major league batters. Um, but the, Which is the, one of the prerequisites for his job, I believe. Right. Uh, now, uh, Jan Gomes, on the other hand, has uh, played particularly well and is, I would say is probably, uh, has probably played uh, pretty far above uh, the original estimates concerning him. I remember when Jan Gomes got called up and, or one of the times when he got called up and hit immediately, I was at a game in Florida with some Mary Scouts who all had scouted and turned him in out of his junior college player in Florida. And they were looking at each other like, did you see this coming? And they're like, they wanted all of the scouts to look at each other and be like, none of us saw this coming. You're all off the hook. And then one guy spoke up like, yeah, I kind of liked him, but my, my boss didn't agree. And he had to kind of ruin everyone's pity party. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because it wasn't a very good story, but that's how that, that's how that sort of discussion happens usually. Right. Uh, there are other guys though that uh, so those are the only two Brazilians to play in the in the major leagues, but they've played. Um, uh, but there there are other. I mean, obviously, here's one Gohara who's who's in the uh, who's in the minors. There are others too. What is the sort of state of affairs in terms of getting talent out of uh, out of Brazil? Well, the uh, the governments in Rio de Janeiro are still reeling, uh, trying to clean up from that whole. Uh, High speed chase from Fast Five. When they're in that bank fall was going through downtown, just crushing stores. Yeah. So they're not really focused on baseball at this point. Not focused on baseball, yeah. Well, maybe it's a good time for teams to get in there amidst the confusion. <laughs> maybe get another bank fall if they're lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Maybe it was Bud Selig who arranged it in the first place. It's true. I mean, people have accused him of less. Uh, so what's the deal with it down there? I, is I Marco actually... Duarte from there? Is Marco Duarte? I don't know who that is. <laughs> All right. Well, he's the pitcher for uh, the Diablos Rojos. No, Marco Duarte is from uh, Mexico. Uh, there it might be a Duarte who's from who's from Brazil. Uh, sure. Uh, Diablos I mean, Rojos. I, I know there are every now and then prospects out of there, uh, but not so many that people are regularly going down there. It's far enough from sort of the main South American uh, products of baseball talent. Like Colombia has become a pretty decent uh, source. Uh, but if some, like, sort of scouting directors and VPs don't like going to Venezuela in part because it's too far, they're not going to want to go to Colombia. And if they don't want to go to Colombia, they're definitely not going to Brazil. Mm-hmm. And it's not like there's a lot of players in Brazil either. And so there's a, it's a, a little tougher infrastructure wise to sort of find the player, get him a trainer, get him trained. I know the last big player of Colombia trained in the Dominican. Um, so I think it's still in that sort of area where it's it's out of the way. The infrastructure isn't necessarily there. There's going to be some players just because there's a lot of athletes there, but they're still it's still a very uphill battle trying to turn soccer players into baseball players. You know, it's interesting you you mentioned that because um, I'm looking at some of the players who are of Brazilian descent who are currently in the minor leagues right now, and um, it surprised me at first, but I guess it should not have is that a lot of them have um, Japanese names. And of course, there is a. I think there is a pretty a decent size uh, Japanese population in Brazil, and I'm wondering if that is how, um, if that is how maybe baseball has been introduced to that country. I, I'm I'm just speculating, and you. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't go into a country where they play one sport and it's been that way for the long, longest time, and then get them into another sport without some other culture sort of helping you along. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I guess. Uh, I mean, it's a huge country, right? And this is the sort of theory behind. Um, looking for players in India as well, right? He's like, well, I mean, they play sports. There's a billion of people there. Some of them must be good at the sport. 
Well, I'll correct you. I believe in India they call it sport. Yeah, I think. Did I not say? Did I not say sport? I meant to say. <laughs> I, 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 I attempt to use it in the singular form as often as possible. Oh, I hate that so much. Why? Re- Why? You think it's an Well, without having a political you? opinion, I remember when Mitt Romney said, oh, I enjoy sport, and I was like, he's officially a robot. I'm out. Like, I, I can't get on board with this. Well, no, regardless, he's not, he's not, he's, he's, he doesn't know how to reach his base if he's calling that sport. Yeah, well, yeah. this has officially become the worst podcast we've ever done. No, I'd say, I'm sure there'll be worse in the future. Uh, okay. So that was, those are some questions I had from the Mariners list. You've done, I guess, an okay job of answering them. Hey, let's talk about the Pirates moment, uh, momentarily. Elias Diaz, catching prospect, with who's remarkably competent um, in a number of. Uh, I mean, he's, I think what he's he's been known as a glove first guy, but his offensive skills look reasonably varied and and, and uh, adequate as well. Yeah, I think adequate is a good word to describe him. He's right. not amazing at anything. He was an under the radar guy that just sort of started hitting one day. And, uh, yeah, he's good enough to stick behind the plate. He's good enough at making contact and has just enough raw power that you think there might be some home runs coming. Right. You're like, oh, yeah, that could be an everyday guy with this sucky state of catching, but he's not quite there yet. Right. And not quite there yet, no. But he's interesting. He's an interesting sort of player. He was signed for $20,000, which is not a lot. Uh, but he was also signed, I think, as like an 18 year old out of the Dominican, which I think is probably perhaps even more damning. Of what his status was as a prospect. What what is the um, seventeen they, in Venezuela? Okay, I, so not the wrong, <laughs> not the wrongest I've been, I guess. The, this is even much stronger. The um, what is the uh, what, what it, there's sort of like we were just talking about this kind of club of senior signs. Is there sort of a club of Latin guys who didn't sign? Who didn't sign, you know, uh, as 16-year-olds? I think Starling Marte is one of them, is he not? Yeah, he was a later signing guy, and he's kind of like the best-case scenario in terms of this group, right? Yeah, uh, and I know the Pirates had a couple of them. I think Alan Hansen signed a little bit later. I think he was 17. I think Marte was 18 or 19, mm-hmm. and uh, I want to say one of the guys, Dilson Herrera. I think either signed as an old 16-year-old or maybe he was 17 also. I think all of like the the, the big time guys that Pittsburgh signed out of Latin America, none of them have been like July two on their birthday guys. Yeah. Now I'm inclined. I I know zero things about basically 29 out of the 30 teams um, international scouting departments. But having mm-hmm. watched Pelotero, I do know a little bit <laughs> about the Pirates. You know they have got quite a mustache on hand there. With, with yeah, Pirates. and I know that. Uh, I mean, Rene is it Rene uh, Gallo Guayo? Gaio, yeah. Gaio, yeah. How he was caught uh, performing dirty deeds. Um, <laughs> That's very vague and implicating. Well, no, but he was uh, what? His it was Sano's mother, right? Who recorded him uh, making sort of like vaguely threatening remarks, like, "Oh, you know, we um, he he'll need to go through this elaborate process, but if he signs with the Pirates, somehow, somehow, this this process will be resolved immediately." Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of part of the course down there. So, I mean, there's a reason when Renee wasn't fired over that. It's because I think that video might exist on every international scouting director. Right. So, well, so anyway, my my point is that I don't have access to all those. I only have access to the one that's, uh, you know, um, documented in this film. And so naturally, when you start hearing, oh, there's an inter- there's like a curious trend, 
among all of these Latin American players who've signed with the Pirates. And also, here's the one international scouting director that you've actually seen like in like in the line of duty, um, you know, making some sort of vaguely threatening comments. But I'm not saying there necessarily has to be a relationship, but the human brain, and I have one of those, if you can believe it, is uh, is kind of designed to to make those connections. Yeah, I don't hear a question there, so let's move on. Okay. <laughs> so is, is there is so we we talked a little bit about this fraternity though of guys who've signed later. I'm wondering, do you, you think off the top of your head, is is Marte the the latest you could think of? Uh, I think Rafael Montero with the Mets might be. I believe he was either 19 or 20 when he signed, and then he was like in the big leagues like a year and a half or two years later. Obviously, now people can Google it and see how wrong I am, but it was something crazy like that quickly. Right. Okay. All right. But I think it's easier with pitchers to miss by that much because obviously if he's throwing 86 and then magically starts throwing 92, then he's a brand new player and everything can change and he can shoot through the minors and all that. Whereas with a hitter, I think we've talked about before, it's more of a gradual change. And so if you don't notice a guy till he's 19, he's a late bloomer. He probably won't, you know, become a top 100 prospect for another two or three years at least anyway. Okay. okay. Um, who's another one? Oh, yeah, uh, the Pirates have Austin Meadows. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't have Clint Frazier, who was in, is a, a prospect in the Cleveland system. However, those two players are notable because they come from what, like the same town in Georgia? Uh, yeah, like within a few miles of each other. Yeah, right. And they were both uh, at one at varying points candidates for one one in that draft, or at least top five. Yeah, I think the one one talk was a little overblown because it was a good story. I don't think either one of them were ever really in consideration there, but mm-hmm. it sounds like in retrospect, Meadows was at least in the group of four or five guys the Astros were looking at that year. So yeah, I guess he technically was. Okay, so can you just you just it was it was a it was sort of a story at the time. Can you can you just uh, sort of um, I guess recite that narrative just to and, and then maybe tell us where both those guys are today relative to each other. Yeah, uh, Meadows is a sort of classic football player looking guy, like 6'3", 200, and kind of like a, a thick build, and, and he's a left-hand hitter, left-hand thrower, uh, very smooth, advanced, left-handed swing, uh, hits in games, above average raw power, plus runner, uh, but arm for left field, uh, so it's sort of people see sort of the way his body looks and assuming that it'll get a little thicker, uh, that the plus run will turn more into a 50 or 55 run, and then that would move him to left field. But then the expectation is if the body goes that way, then the power will, you know, jump agreed, and it might be six hit and six power. So obviously if you have that from the left side, nobody really cares the position you play. Um, so, the, yeah, he, he it seems like he was seen as maybe – 40% of the industry preferred him, whereas the slight majority preferred Frazier, which I also did at the time. And Frazier is uh, unusual in many ways. Uh, he's got a huge mop of red curly hair right, right, uh, right. and has and has 80 bat speed and sort of a Gary Sheffield-type swing and also is a plus runner and has a at least 60 arm and played shortstop until his senior year in high school. And so some people saw him playing the outfield and like, oh, this guy's not very good, but he had just started out there, and it seems like he can still play center. Um, and, and he would hit in games against good competition. Uh, Frazier had some tr- trouble uh, in high school with the guys that threw very slowly. Another example of the guy I've talked about in the past, with the guy with so much bad speed that's used to hitting 90 with wood that has trouble against crappy high school pitching. Meadows also had some trouble. His mechanics kind of backed up a little bit. He would struggle at times against bad pitching also, 
And so they both kind of had their detractors. And then, uh, obviously if metal or if, uh, Frazier swinging and missing, um, it's easy to imagine him being a guy that just, you know, does the, the Javier bias type thing. Whereas Meadows seems a little more in control the whole time. Uh, and I guess another difference is that Frazier would, I saw him take batting practice at his high school field, which was very small. And I think he had 30 home runs during a batting practice, but <laughs> three or four rounds, like it was kind of hilarious. And they, they would position more players beyond the left field fence than they would in the field when he was up at BP so that they wouldn't lose too many baseballs. Uh, and Meadows never shows you his BP uh, power. Like, it's always just line drives. You kind of have to guess how far he can hit the ball. So his power grade has always been a little bit of guesswork. Uh, and then Meadows had a pretty good season this year in low A, uh, but was hurt. So it was sort of in a limited sample. And Frazier played the whole year, but he struck out a little more than expected. I think it was like 27%, which you're kind of hoping for closer to 20. Um, so he, Frazier may sort of have things click and become, you know, that Javier Baez style, uh, type hitter. Although I guess that's now a negative thing, given how his last <laughs> 200 bats have gone in professional ball. Right. Uh, but he has sort of that, that sort of upside. And Meadows is a little more of like a Jay Bruce, maybe center, probably eventually a corner outfielder, kind of steady type guy. And if he can stay healthy, then people generally prefer him. I ranked him higher. He's probably a little lower risk. Uh, but that, I mean, they could flip by midseason if they kind of, you know, flip who's performing and who's hurt and that kind of thing. Right. Okay. All right. Good. Well, thank you for the uh, for the update. <clears throat> oh yeah, and also you mentioned Alan Hansen. I'm wondering if you know this is uh, just purely for curiosity's sake. If you know anything about how he has the name Hansen out of the D- Dominican Republic. I thought you were going to ask that. Are you brought up Alan Hansen? Like he's going to ask about why he has a white guy's name. <laughs> well, not necessarily. It's I mean, white guy's name. It's a Scandinavian name. I mean, which is the whitest thing? Which is the whitest <laughs> yeah, exactly. type of name? I mean, these people, you know, they're translucent roughly. Yeah. So, but this so I did some research about. But that. Go ahead. I was say this is shocking, but I didn't ask that question in, the, in, in my research for the part. The list. I I did a little bit of research. There is um there is a Scandinavian tobacco company that has uh that has a, like a whole some interests in some business interests in the Dominican Republic. Um, and I thought that maybe that was it. I also think that maybe there are just some like expats there who've settled there somehow. But that is a, you know, I think Swedish typically last name. And well, I also told you my, my favorite Dominican yogurt chain that has for some reason a German name is Jogenfrus. And that's in the Dominican? Yeah. So, as far as I've been told, it's a Dominican-only yogurt chain with a German name. Yeah. Well, who knows? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, obviously, I mean, sometimes for a business, though, that could, that could just be an affectation. I don't know why you would want to. I don't know why the affectation you want to adopt is the German one for yogurt, but <laughs> we will yell at you about smoothies. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the, the last name I, I it was uh, that was um, surprised to me. Anyway, I, I'm still curious about follow that up. Uh, let's look at uh, um, the Royals. What is the Kyle? So Kyle Zimmer was what out of University of San Francisco. Yep, just yeah. like his brother, Brad Zimmer. Brad Zimmer. I, who, I pulled up the Yogan for his website. It is not just in the Dominican. That's okay. corrected. Okay. But right. they are in Brazil. <laughs> okay. Well, there are a lot of Germans in Brazil, too, usually for the wrong yeah. reasons. I'm, I'm glad we're getting all of this yogurt talk out of the way. The, uh, Kyle Zimmer, hard-throwing right-hander and a performing right-hander, too, right? Not just a, not just all potential. He is the, the – uh, 
the typical checks all the boxes sort of guy. He checks all the boxes. That's Kylie's guy right there. You know, you know how people, and by people I mean terrible internet people, are constantly asking me and maybe you, uh, oh, is this guy a potential ace? And I always roll my eyes and say, no, he's a potential ace. He's a potential ace. He's the guy everyone's always asking about. Right. Because it's got stuff and performance and, but what he needs is health. And he didn't have it last year. Um, what, what is, what is the state of Kyle Zimmer at the moment in terms of, especially in terms of health? Important yogurt update. There's two Yogenfru's locations in the Atlanta suburbs. I'm going to go visit it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe um, you so go, go talk Dominican Spanish and see how they respond. Yeah, clearly I'm, my mind's already there. Uh, wait, so what if Kyle's never needs to be healthy? Was that the question? Yeah, sure. sure. You're doing, you're just doing <laughs> yogurt research now. Uh, no, what, uh, so what, yeah, where, what is the state? What is the status? I need a status update on Kyle Zimmer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he had shoulder surgery. He's back throwing bullpens, but he's not on the mound. Like in games, that sounds like that's another month or two away. Uh, he appears to be, you know, fragile like paper mache, given how if he throws 98 for more than a few months, his arm gets hurt um, or some other part of his body gets hurt. And so that would appear through, you know, sort of the way injuries tend to keep happening. What is it, the inertia of injuries? If you're if you're getting hurt, you're going to keep getting hurt. Right, right. Um, he keeps getting hurt. So it's hard to imagine him, you know, being able to throw 200 innings three years in a row. So scouts are like, oh, put him in relief. He's got crazy electric stuff. Just have him throw an inning at a time, and he's, he's so easy. It won't be high effort. Maybe that'll be the way to do it. And I mentioned that to the Royals. They're like, we've never even discussed him being a reliever before, which almost <laughs> seemed like defiant the way that they said that to me. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, he's a potential number one starter. We're going to make sure he's not a number one starter was sort of the way they phrased it. Um, so I'm like, okay, then I guess that's the way it's going to go. So he's going to come back on the mound or at some point in like May or maybe June. And then hopefully he throws the rest of the season and is healthy and, you know, goes to the fall league and is healthy there and then he's in the big leagues and all that works out. But the evidence tends to suggest that's not very likely. Right. So, but the thing, the thing that's weird about his injuries, right, is that it's been, Hasn't it been all rest and rehab? There's been no like defining moment where you're like he's he requires a procedure. I believe his shoulder thing was surgery on his labrum and rotator cuff. Oh, okay. I don't right. I don't think it was like the the full scale you know replacement or whatever the the full thing is. I think it was like a repair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that's what akin to bone chips. I'm kind of over my head at this point. Right. But yeah, it, it appears somebody cut his skin open and did something to his arm. Mm-hmm. So. So that's generally a no bueno to yeah, speak in yoga no for right? <laughs> All right, now another update. The locations are inside AMC theaters. So that's going to be a little tough to visit. Well, you have to go – you don't like AMC theaters? I mean, no, but it's, it's you can't like just walk right in. I think it's like at the snack shop. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm also from that same organization. Um, oh, yeah, what's the Sean Manaya update? Of course, Sean Manaya. Pitched very well. Uh, he was uh, at Indiana State. Pitched very well on the Cape, and then threw hard, and then showed less when he returned. But then maybe that was just earlier in the spring. Later in the spring, he showed more. And then he was selected kind of like at a weird place in the first round. Like during the was he supplemental? Was he supplemental? Yes, he was Ky- the first supplemental. Kylie, was he supplemental? <laughs> Anyway, yeah. What's the deal with how you're saying that word? Yeah, so so where is he right now? Because he also didn't throw a lot at one point. 
Yeah, he had he was all right. So sophomore in Indiana State, he was just big dude that threw pretty hard, didn't really do anything else. Then he went to the Cape, and he was fantastic, and he was a candidate to go one one. And then he came out during the spring. I saw his first start when it was really cold, and he was still pretty good. And then the rest of the spring, he was kind of terrible and looked like he was hurt and looked uncomfortable and generally looked like the guy he looked like as a sophomore. So the area scouts that cover Indiana are like, I've never seen this guy be good before. Why is everyone's scouting director and boss coming in to see this guy? I don't get it. Uh, and then he, I believe, was a Boris guy and had a big number. He wanted to get that top five, ten money and – it sounded like the medical was the big thing. It, does he have an elbow injury? Does he have a hip injury? Is he banged up? What's going on? It ends up coming out that the he needed hip surgery but had no arm problems. Everything sort of was stemming from the hip issue. Uh. And so and so the Royals were like, he wants a ton of money. We picked it, what, seven or eight? We don't have to take him there because I think once he slides past ten, nobody can afford to take him because the way the polls are, you know, nobody's going to have that kind of money. But we have a pick at – the first comp pick at like 34. So why don't we take the guy that we have in the middle of the first round, Dozier, pay him an underslot, get him at eight, and then go with the savings, go apply that to Manaya late. And if we were to do it the opposite order, you know, Dozier would be done by 15 or 20. So this way we get two guys we wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And it worked out perfectly, and they got him. And then they signed him. Hip surgery, didn't pitch that whole offseason, came back this year, was kind of average to above average stuff early, and then by the end of the year it looked like he was back sort of cape form. Uh, which is, you know, 91 to 94 with life and deception and command and uh, flash and a plus slider, the change-ups at least above average, command was pretty good, big athletic kid. But now he's, I think, 23 already and has basically had like 15 good starts in his entire life. Including uh, and, including the Cape League? Yeah, including the Cape. If you take mm-hmm. like the seven starts on the Cape and then like 10 starts down the stretch this year, like it's like basically a half a season of pitching well in his entire life and he's 23 and he's coming off of hip surgery, you know, in the last year. So it's like plenty of questions about is he going to be able to hold this up? Like if, if you want to take the more skeptical, you know, there is no such thing as a pitch, pitching prospect kind of thing, this is probably the guy you'd point to because it's a, it's a limited track record of success to be going off of. But again, he checks a lot of the boxes as a big athletic dude with potential for three plus pitches from the left side. Like, that's pretty good. So, if you're me, you're, you know, obligated to be excited about this, uh, but also recognize some of the, the risks, especially when there's a guy like Brandon Finnegan behind him, and we already know what Brandon Finnegan can do. Yeah, we, we do know what we saw him pitch in the major leagues already. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon Finnegan at a TCU. Does that sound right? That is correct. And he, uh, yeah, he pitched. He pitched some pretty effective uh, relief innings towards the end of last year and in the playoffs, I guess. So go, good job, Brandon Finnegan. Love you, and buddy. He's very Irish, which I can get behind. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, let's see. And then, oh yeah, the Hunter Dozier. Yeah, I, I, you've recited it before. But what is the? How does the guy out of Stephen F. Austin get drafted in the first round? Again? Uh, because Texas is terrible at recruiting in every major sport. <laughs> I was talking to a scouting director, I remember, the, the, before that draft, and they said, there, I think he said there's eight major Division One colleges in the state of Texas, and he wasn't recruited by any of them. Really? <laughs> he was like, how, how terrible are you at your job? If there, I believe that year there wasn't a player from any of those Texas schools taken in like the top four rounds, and this guy went in the top ten, and none of them were recruiting him in any meaningful way. It's a pretty big indictment of how good they are because this is also happening in college football because Texas is known for having all their commits for football locked up like a year and a half before they sign. 
And if you go back and look at the list of like the top players in Texas, uh, you pick out like out of the top 30, like, oh, from four years ago, these are the six guys that were good. And it's like Texas has one through four, and then there's a good player, and he goes to AM. And then Texas has, you know, six through nine, and then the number 10 is good. He went to another school. And it's, it's kind of amazing how they didn't get any of the good ones. <laughs> And it sounds like the baseball schools are kind of doing that too. The Longhorns leading the way. Which is what they, what you're saying they, they, they come to terms, not terms, but you know, they get commits from guys like too early on in the process. Is that the idea? Well, I know in, I know in football that's the criticism. In baseball, I'm not sure that's the, I think they just sort of had a couple of bad seasons and maybe, you know, some other teams had, or some other schools might have a little more cachet and then maybe they were picking the wrong guys that they had sort of their pick of the litter and then, you know, sort of th- just kind of had a bad run. Right. Uh, and yeah, and now, you know, with, you know, Johnny Manziel, A&M, I guess even for baseball may have sort of more cachet to kids that might like that sort of brand a little more. Uh, hmm. but yeah, I, I, I can't say head or tail what it is. Cause you know, obviously with recruiting high school kids, you can either go for all the kids that might turn pro. And if you get lucky, you get a bunch of good prospects. They might be good or bad when they get to campus, or you can go, you know, for more of the sort of grinder guy that isn't going to go pro out of high school and hope he performs enough that it matters, and then if he doesn't sign, then you just look at your whole team's terrible because none of these guys even have tools and nobody gets drafted high. So those are kind of the two ways to build a program, and you can obviously go in between also, but you can have a bad class or two through no real fault of your own and look like an idiot, and I think that's probably more accurately what's happening with Texas, but the fact that all of those schools missed on this, you know, 6-4 middle infielder that hits for power, like, I don't know what he looked like in high school. I wasn't really covering this at that point, but, yeah, it is... It is one of those stories that's kind of hard to believe. Do we know if he was – oh, well, we can, the internet will tell us. Uh, I'm curious as to whether he was drafted out of high school. And the answer is no. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah, if he was drafted out of high school, then just by that fact, he would have been recruited by the bigger schools. Right, okay. So so a lot of people missed on him is the idea. Yeah. Yeah, all right. That's he, yeah. And what, he played a shortstop in college but is probably a third baseman now. Is that the idea? I think he's already a third baseman. Okay. Yeah, but if he's not, he will be soon. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's been a third baseman as a pro, it looks like. Uh, maybe just a uh, a cameo role at shortstop, but but not much else. And um, but he made a lot of contact when he when he first arrived in the pros. A little bit less contact now, but still what? Still interesting because of the uh, because of the raw power and uh, and uh, you know some something resembling defensive upside. Yeah, I mean, he could be at least average at third base. Uh, yeah, but basically it's a 45 runner. Everything else is at least average. And I think the arm's a plus. The raw power's above average. Uh, because he's a 6'4", 220 guy, obviously you're not convinced he's going to be a super advanced hitter, but he's one of those guys that's big and a bit of a late bloomer that has very smooth actions everywhere. And so that's the kind of guy people want to bet on when it's, you know, defensively everything moves the right way. The swing looks good. He had, you know, a lot of contact and until he got to double A. Um, and, you know, obviously until he got to double A, it's not like he'd faced a ton of good pitching because he wasn't even like an, he didn't go to the Cape. Nobody really knew his name coming into the spring on a national basis. So he had no reason to have seen a lot of high level pitching or to know what to do with it until, you know, recently. Right. Okay. And, uh, <clears throat> well, that's good. Um, do you, um, you, uh, we're gonna, I think maybe this next week, mid- midweek maybe, you will have a, a special podcast event. Is that right? Yeah, it's going to be uh, me and Barbara Walters doing our uh, 10 most interesting people of the year. A lot of tears at some point during that. A lot of Vaseline on the on the camera lens. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, would you like to give the right answer now? <sighs> Come on, Mom. Sorry, dude. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, interviewed some players. Uh, we're starting our player interview series. And I say our, and I mean my. Because <laughs> I'm not going to let Carson talk to these players. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, but, yeah. It also, I saw when you directed me to your SoundCloud page because it had something on there that there was a funny clip of you saying something. It appeared to be to Byron Buxton. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? What I said to Byron Buxton, I was like, hey, I mean, it was uh, it was sub-mental. It was like, a, hey, hey, Byron, I'm, I'm a sports writer. You play baseball or something like that. I mean, it was <laughs> – it was uh, yeah. It was like um, it's it's even better than you think it would sound. Yeah, it's it. <laughs> if he didn't think I was disabled by looking at me, um, then he was positive I was disabled after after that introductory line. But uh, we got on. We got along okay. And uh, yeah, that was at a rainout in the middle of Illinois somewhere. Yeah, well, I can say uh, one of the players I talked to uh, hasn't heard the Kendrick album yet, but has some thoughts on the Drake mixtape. Okay, so, okay, good. So, yeah, typical nonsense, as you would expect. Although I will say the Moncada thing, uh, I intentionally made it a little more free-flowing uh, because I feel like there weren't a lot of baseball questions. I've said this before. There aren't a lot of baseball questions that you can ask before he's played in the in America right. that aren't like, well, how did you get out of Cuba? And like, you know, Cuba, pretty crazy, huh? Like, there's not a lot of baseball stuff you can ask. What's him. the deal? So I focus more. <laughs> With defecting. Yeah, I put on yeah. my side. <laughs> oh, he didn't, he didn't technically. Defect, de- yeah. fact. what's the deal? Uh, yeah, so there didn't seem to be a baseball sort of a lot of baseball questions to ask him. Whereas these, these two players I talked to were high school players from the most recent draft uh, that I've also both seen play a combined like 30 games between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were just small things I could ask them. So I think both of them are like six or seven minutes and it's, you know, five minutes of baseball questions and then a minute or two of foolishness, which I feel like is probably a little closer to how I would norm- normally do these things, just because I'm curious about this stuff too. Cause, and I've said before with some of the draft stuff, like, oh, we're talking about Daz Cameron. And I was like, oh, well, the answer to the question, you know, can he hit, will be best answered by someone who can like have him in a batting cage, ask him about what he's you know, going through his mind at the plate, about adjustments he's been trying to make to try to explain what's happening on the field and things like that. And I, while I might have that kind of access to some players, I won't have it to all of them, obviously. So to have a more accurate sort of assessment of their, their you know, mental makeup or whatever, I'd like to be able to talk to them. And I kind of realized, like, oh, well, I mean, I do have that sort of access, especially in pro ball when it's a little easier to get in touch with these kids. Uh, at that level, and I feel like for, you know, five to seven minutes, I know for me, I would have interest in listening to what that kid's personality is like in general terms, and hopefully there's some decent questions in there for about that amount of time. Like, I, I don't think when their sort of guard is up and they haven't done media stuff, that they're going to be interesting to someone for longer than that, but, but I feel like there's some value there. So right. we've got a, we got we got two of them in the can, as they say, and I got a couple more lined up, and a they, couple of them They are- being douchebags. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but a couple of the ones that have lined up are players that I've had some background with that'll probably be a little more... The, the first two, they both called me sir at one point. Yeah. So, so was it like the ideal back and forth? Uh, but a couple of the guys I've lined up, I've talked to in the past and have some sort of relationship with and will probably won't call me sir. Right. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm 10 years old of them. I don't feel like I've earned sir status yet. Of course, they were over the phone, so they didn't know that. Uh, but you know, like these two together with an intro will be 15 or 20 minutes. And one of the upcoming ones may be, you know, 15 minutes on its own. Right. All um, right. Well, good. Looking so forward might, to it. Might be a little, a little more of a traditional sort of like, oh, cool interview. Yeah. You're not like, well, also, that was kind of boring. 
just want to uh, note as well. Uh, oh, great. Well, um, I had I had a uh, I had an Ivy League update for everyone who was on. Uh, they still com- think they're superior to you. <laughs> Some combination of pins and needles for uh, about the uh, results of those particular games. If game one, game one, Kylie, let me tell you. Oh, a nail biter! This one, he went uh, seven innings. Of first game of a doubleheader. Cornell comes away with a win, though. Uh, Cornell comes away with a win. They scored a run in the uh, fourth inning. It looks like they won one zero at Dartmouth. First game. What we're doing, or have nope, done shut in the up. Last next, hour. next thing is coming. It's another update right out of Hanover, New Hampshire, beyond the park. Uh, oh, it looks like Dartmouth came back to, uh, to take the second game in that doubleheader. So that's, uh, what you're getting there is an, what is that nine? That was a nine. Why is that a nine inning game? The other one's a seven inning game. The product we're giving the people is like someone's impression of what they think a terrible sports radio station would sound like. <laughs> the, <clears throat> this will bring pleasure to you. The starting pitcher for Dartmouth's name, his name was Jackson Bubala. There you go. Do you think I'm that simple? Yeah. No, but that's an Italian name, and so are the uh, surnames of three of the top four Dartmouth batters. Matt Parisi, Joe Puritano, and Nick Lombardi. So. So, do you think Joe Puritano's parents came over with the Pilgrims and like, hey, we're with the Puritans. We're now the Puritanos. Yeah, we're Puritanos. Oh, you're looking good Where's in that pizza? buckle hat. <laughs> All right. Oh, I got cholera. Oh, oh that's going to leave a mark. Hickory dickory, I'm dead. <laughs> Joey Puritano. Yeah, for the listener wondering if we wrote that whole Italian oh, that's, description that's a, segment out, that was all. Yeah. All off, improv. Yeah. Off the cuff. All right. Get off my. Uh, get off my phone. Hey, that's been um, Kyle McDaniel. L- uh, he's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Thank you, thank you, Kylie. 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 Well, you know what? He doesn't need to say goodbye. That's that has been Kyle McDaniel of uh, he's the live prospect analyst Fangraphs.com. Carson Stooley this has been Fangraphs Audio. Here, Kylie, thank you, Kylie, thank you very uh, much for Kylie, thank you very much for joining the podcast. This is the phone of Car- Carson Stooley. Please leave a message. That's uh, Kylie McDaniel, live prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.